Hey, good morning, People's Church. So good to have each and every one of you with us as we're in this series on enemies, and we're learning how enemies make us better. And that seems kind of like counterintuitive. That really goes against our natural thinking. Uh, just by a show of hands, just wave at me. You say you've had an enemy or two in your life. Go ahead, just wave at me. I didn't say point at them. I just said wave at me. So if they're in the room, just don't even make eye contact. But uh, we all face adversity. We all experience moments or seasons or times of opposition. And there are times where there are certain faces or names that come to our minds. We think of Hateful Henry, Mean Meddy, Freaky Freddy, whoever it is. That our enemies come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, times, seasons, intensities. There are no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you love God or you don't love God. You're still going to face adversity here on this planet called Earth. And at times it's difficult. Sometimes it's crazy difficult. As a matter of fact, there's so much hatred, lying, gossiping, backbiting drama to go along with this subject called enemies that we could be tempted to think that nothing good could ever possibly come from an encounter with an enemy. And yet, interesting, interestingly, when you read Scripture, you see that not only does God say, hey, don't be surprised, enemies are going to come. But God actually shows us and teaches us that he can actually use those people who are trying to hurt us. God, in his sovereign way, can twist that and turn that inside out to help us. Again, I, I can't even really explain that except to say it takes an omnipotent, all-powerful God to take something that could be so difficult and turn it into something so beautiful. Yet that's what Scripture teaches us. That's really what this whole series is about is enemies, how they make us Better. In order to understand that a little more so, we're going to be looking at, at David and we're going to see in the life of David that, that really when it comes down to uh, becoming better or stronger as a result of facing the, our enemies, that truly this is the essence of it. Your response will determine your reward. Your response to your enemies will determine the reward or the benefit that you get from that encounter. Now I want to talk about David. It's a person in the Bible. Wave at me if you've heard of David. Come on, just wave at me. I know that's two like crowd participations within four minutes. You're like, come on, bro, I just got seated. That's all right. Just interact just a little bit. You'll be okay. You've heard of David. We've heard of David because of Goliath. David the giant killer. All of us love the story of David and Goliath. Most of you also know that David went on to be king, one of the greatest kings in all of history for Israel. He was just loved by the people. He was respected. He was viewed as a man after God's own heart. But did you know that he was not only a king, he was not only a giant killer, but David was also a songwriter. Did you know this? David was a musician. He wrote some great songs or some great psalms. And, and when we uh, talk about that, here's one of them that we're going to be looking at and learning how he responded to a lifetime full of enemies. He faced all kinds of enemies, enemies who were after him to kill him, to stop him from becoming king, to take the kingship from him, all different kinds of enemies. And yet later in life, he reflects back 
on his life. He looks back at those encounters with his enemies, and he writes this song, this psalm in Psalm 23. Let's begin reading with verse 1. David writes this as he reflects. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though, listen to this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Pretty picturesque, pretty vivid graphic. You can, in, in your mind, you can imagine just like this scene because he uses the words of this psalm to paint a picture of what he's feeling in his heart. And so this is his expression of his reflection on God's goodness and how God was with him even throughout adversity. And he gives us this picture of this beautiful walk through green pastures where he lies down and he's relaxing. He gives us this beautiful, tranquil scene of the still waters. He gives us this, this, this reality check of even though, yes, I walk through difficulty, I go through dark times, some of the darkest of valleys. He said, yes, I went through that. Yes, there are times like that. He said, but I can fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. We're tracking with that. We're following that. And then he gets to verse 5, and I want you to see this because this is where it really like starts giving us insight into how he he responded to his enemies, his understanding of how he was supposed to handle the attacks from others. So after all of this that he just described, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's an interesting line. A guy who battled, a guy who fought, a guy who had people trying to kill him, trying to take him down, a guy who was a warrior. Yes, he was a songwriter. Yes, he was an artist. Yes, he, yes, he was a musician. But come on, you know he fought like a bad man. David was a warrior. And as he reflects on some of that intensity from the adversity, he gives us this picture of the green pastures, the still waters, the fact that God is with him. And then he says, and as it relates to my enemies, hmm, how would I say? it in this song. I guess I would say it's like God prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I have to be honest that when I read that, I think, couldn't you have come up with something better to say right there? And here's why. You killed Goliath, bro. Come on, who can go around talking about that and telling that story? You know how your stories get bigger over time, and you tell your kids, well, one time I was at school, and like 14 of them came at me at once, but good thing is I had my backpack, so I just went crazy, and dog, you know, you just have the stories that get bigger and bigger, you know, and all that you went through, and David, I'm like, man, you, are, how many guys know if you're writing a song, you get to pick the lyrics, come on, don't you know that, like if you're writing the song, you can say whatever you want to say, why did he say, and when it comes to my enemies, being surrounded by people who want to kill me, you know what happened, God made a table for me, because I'm thinking, I can hear the music bed underneath the lyrics of the story of David and Goliath. 
Can't you just imagine it? Like, I mean, if it was me, like writing the song, I can just sit. And you know what it would sound like? Singing the song, telling the story of David and Goliath. It sounded a little something like this. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? He's, he, he's like, hey, let me tell y'all a story. It sounds something like this. Drop it. Here we go. And he's going to sing another one bites the dust. Come on, because he's going to talk about Goliath. He's probably going to have some opening line, rap, spoken word, lullaby, something about another one bites the dust. That's what I'm hearing. Or you know what he used to kill Goliath, right? Slinging a stone. So if he's not going to go with another one bites the dust, what I'm picturing, what I'm hearing, the music, the sound that I'm hearing is boom, boom, ch, boom, boom, ch. We will, we will rock. Huh? You guys see what, huh? Come on. You know I read my Bible. Look at that. I'd be singing. That's what he meant. Hey, let me tell you about where I rocked Goliath. Let me just, come on, somebody sing this. Hum this with me. But he doesn't. He says, surrounded by enemies, being attacked, adversity. God prepared a table. Like, man, that didn't even sound cool. I mean, that didn't even sound tough. I don't, I don't picture Braveheart. I don't, I don't picture anything like, yeah, what is the picture? Because there's something deep in his heart as he reflects back and he's like, hmm. <laughs> I know how to sum this up. God prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's a picture of provision. It's meant to communicate the truth of God setting the table and providing exactly, precisely what David needed regardless of the enemies, regardless of their opinions, regardless of their thoughts. God said, I'm going to do it right in front of them. I'm going to prepare it for you. And David, here's what you will find is that I am the God of more than enough. More than enough what? Whatever David needed. God was more than enough. So David looks back, he writes a song, goes, best way I know to say it is right in the presence of my, everybody watching with all of their threats, with all of their slur, with all of their slander, with all of their hurling of it, with all that they're trying to do. My God prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David knew what it was to face enemies. He knew what it was to have people trying to attack him. But he also knew how to respond to them. God says, yes, your enemies are here. Yes, they are real, but so am I. They want to attack you. I want to comfort you. They want to crush your flesh, and I want to feed your soul. I've got all you'll ever want, and I've got more than you'll ever need. But just because God has that or intends for it, listen, doesn't mean that you will experience it. David's response determined his reward. I want to show you, and the way I want to bring this truth to life is 
I want to talk to you about one of David's earliest and greatest enemies. This guy by the name of Saul. Specifically, this guy by the name of King Saul, which kind of stacks the deck in his favor just a little bit. If you go back in the story, though, before Saul was David's enemy, Saul was one of his biggest cheerleaders, and it's because Saul and the Israelite army was facing the Philistines, which Goliath represented. And because the Israelites were afraid, because the Philistines were, were threatening them, specifically Goliath, and it's like, hey, whoever wins this thing will be able to rule over the other people. The Israelites were so afraid. For 40 days, they drew up the battle lines, put on face paint, fist bump, head butts, whatever. They're all excited. For 40 days, they ran like junior high girls. Uh, no offense to junior high girls, but you just wouldn't expect warriors. like. And so anyway, they're running, they're afraid. And now all of a sudden, David, shepherd boy, shows up on the scene because he brought some snacks to his brothers. When he gets there, he's like, what in the world is going on? Why are you guys so scared? Why are you, what, what, what's the deal? All that guy goes, you know what? The same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear will deliver this ugly, nasty Goliath Philistine into my hands. He goes out there. He says, we, we, we. And he rocks him. And so he falls. Another one bites the dust. And then uh, all of a sudden, Saul goes, David, you are the man, dude. Listen, hey, come on. As a matter of fact, why don't you come hang out in the palace with me? Why? Because David just saved his neck. And so Saul honors him. David is now a part of the palace because of the fact that David is not just a, 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 uh, a shepherd boy. He's not just... Uh, a, a giant killer, not just a great musician, but because he's a man after God's own heart. But because David was the type of guy who would say, even in the midst of difficulty, I have faith. That same God who delivered me from the lion and the bear. I'm going to step up and do this. Why? Because my God, the same God, is going to help me here. He's the guy who could write songs in the midst of a storm. And so he'll pour out his heart being real, but it will come back to the fact that God is able. That's the kind of guy that David was. When a person lives a life like that, there's a favor that rests on their lives. How many guys have ever noticed when there's a favor on your life that there are people who used to like you and when your favor starts growing, all of a sudden they don't like you as much anymore. Have you ever noticed that? So, you know, you, you've got friends. Friends love cheering you on when you're both winning. Friends love cheering you on even if you're going through a difficult time and they're going through a good time. They love cheering you up. Friends have a hard time whenever things are going great for you and things are not going so great for them. So you got a job. They lost the job. Uh, you, you got married. They can't even get a girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about? Like whatever it is, now all of a sudden you can just kind of see when you go to share the good news of something, you start to see that resentment, right? And so Saul is seeing the favor on David's life. You used to be like, David, you're the man. Come on in the palace. But now people are starting to say, like, I like that one song that David wrote the other day. Me too. It's one of my favorites. Saul's like, it wasn't that good. People are coming back saying, did you hear what just happened as David led the army out into battle? Did you hear what the man of God, what the warrior David did? You know what? We thought when he killed Goliath, that was something. Did you hear about this last time? And Saul was saying, that's not that big of a deal. As a matter of fact, the people started singing this song that went like this. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. Like, I don't know who wrote that. It wasn't David. But when they started singing that, I don't know what David thought of it. But I can tell you Saul did not like it. As a matter of fact, he had jealousy that was growing and growing and growing and growing and growing out of control. So much so to where it was eating him alive. He did not want, although he knew that David would one day become king, he not only wanted David to not become king, he wanted David dead. 
Look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. It says, But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. So there they are in the palace. David is doing what he's supposed to do. He's serving faithfully. Listen, just because you have enemies doesn't mean you're doing same, something wrong. Sometimes you have enemies because you're doing the very thing right. So you can't see an enemy and begin to think, I must be out of the will of God. No, sometimes when you are right in the middle of the will of God, you will have your, your severest test. So he's where he's supposed to be. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Saul's eating up with jealousy. This is not a problem on David's end. This is totally the problem on his enemy's end. And so Saul takes this spear and he hurls it at David and he's trying to pin him to the wall. He's trying to kill David. Have you found yourself going through life having to learn how to dodge spears? Have you noticed that even yourself? That you find yourself, well, whoa, where did that come from? You ever found yourself like that? Whoa, man, why would they say, whoa, they know that's not true. Have you found yourself in that type of a situation? Sometimes it's because we're just where we're supposed to be and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But I want you to pay attention to this next part, perhaps underline it in your, in your Bible. But as Saul drove the spear into the wall because he missed David, because David was dodging spears. The next part says, that night David made good his escape. I just like the way that sounds. David made good his escape. He dodged it and he realized, you know what? I probably shouldn't hang out here anymore. And he ran because you got to know when to hold them. And come on, you got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And sometimes you just got to know when to run. How many guys know what I'm talking about? And what's crazy is some of you are in situations right now and you're confused as to why spears are coming at you. And it's because God is saying to you, it's because you're in a room you're not supposed to be in. You're in a relationship you're not supposed to be in. You're a part of something that is not healthy. It's not wise. And you wonder why there's attack. You wonder why there's adversity. You wonder why you're going through some of the junk that you're going through. And it could be that at one point, perhaps you were supposed to be there. Maybe you never should have been there. You can't do anything about yesterday, but you can do something about right here and right now. David made good his escape. It could be that that's for somebody today, and you don't need anything else for the entire message. But if you are facing enemies adversity or pain in life, it could be that God is telling you, get out of that situation. And if that's the case for you, I would just encourage you, make good your escape. Get out and get out fast. So David did. He got out. He fled. He ran. When he did, Saul chased him. Saul chased him along with his army because in his mind, he was so blinded by his own jealousy and his envy of David that now he considers David to be public enemy number one, Israel's most wanted, a fugitive that needs to be caught, captured, and killed. So Saul and the Israelite army are chasing after David. And what's crazy is they came to this point where they set up camp and David could see them from a distance. 
So they're after him, chasing him to kill him. And we get some insight into this little story as it says that David could see them from a distance. And he was there with some of his mighty men. And one of his mightiest of the mighty men was this guy by the name of Abishai. I almost named my son Abishai, except for it sounds a little weird today in America. But it's a cool, cool name, Abishai. Come on, it just sounds tough, doesn't it? I mean, Abishai was like a, a mighty man of valor. He was one of the greatest warriors. He was one of the most uh, just courageous, the bravest of all of the soldiers, Abishai. Abishai is the type of person your kid comes home from school and says, Dad, I got in a fight with Abishai. You start looking immediately for the bruises and for the wounds. You're like, boy, if you messed up with Abishai, I know that didn't go well because Abishai is tough. Abishai is courageous. And it says that David and Abishai, looked out and they saw Saul pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 26 verse 7 it says so David and Abishai went to the army by night and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head so obviously Saul in a very vulnerable position he's asleep they're not aware of the fact that David and Abishai are there says that Abner and other soldiers were lying around the king as well that would have been his close guard Abishai says to David, today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. And because he's Abishai and guys who like Abishai are just tougher than tough, he makes this next statement. I won't even strike him twice. You know what he's saying? He's saying, because I won't have to. Just say the word. He's waiting for David. David wouldn't have even had to say anything. David could have just said. David would not have even had to nod. He was so fired. Abner was, uh, Abishai was so fired up. He was so ready because they were tired of being on the run. They were running for their lives. Saul was trying to kill them. And Abishai is going, look what we have here. He's like, you don't even have to give the word. You don't even have to nod. He said, just wink at me. I won't even have to strike twice. Verse 9. But David said to Abishai, don't you destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. Verse 11. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Here's David's response that determined his reward. If you're taking notes, write it down because it applies to all of us in our situations where we face enemies as well. When we're tempted to take action with our own hands, number one, realize that revenge will hurt you more than it helps you. David understood that at the hand of Abishai, this 
enemy king who's trying to take his life. He's like, man, if I just nod, if I just wink, if I just point, Abishai with one thrust can end this whole thing. But here's what David understood. He understood that there was this little song that was already stirring in his heart. He hadn't totally written it out yet. One day he was going to try and come up with a tune for it. But it was this thought that he had. His thought was something like this. It's like, yeah, we might could do some things with our own hand, but whoo, when God shows up, he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies that is so much better than anything that you could do on your own ability. Let's trust God. He understood that revenge will hurt you more than it helps you. It's crazy when you think about it. I like, I like back in the day, I, I played uh, uh, football back, way back in the day, I played junior high football, which is pretty intense. Let's just be honest. Junior high football, about as tough as you get. And so anyway, I was playing junior high football, and my coach had a nickname for me because of my skills on the field, because of just my uh, aggressiveness, uh, because of my killer instinct, because of all these things, my coach called me the animal. Now let me tell you why the coach called me the animal. You know why? Because he is 100% being sarcastic because I only weighed like 45 pounds. But anyway, coach called me. Come on, don't you? It's not the dog in the fight. It's the fight in the dog. But anyway, he called me the animal. And so we're going on a away game one day, junior high football, away game. This away game was going to be close to where some of my extended family lived. I was all excited about this because my grandparents were going to come. Cousins, uncles, aunts, whoever was going to be invited, whoever could come, could come. Mom and dad, brothers and sisters. So I was excited because I thought they'll probably going to have to take that whole section right there just for my family. And so I got there and while we're warming up, I'm looking up to see if they're pulling up yet. But I'm trying not to act like, you know, I'm looking or anything. I'm just stretching I'm looking, oh, there they are. They're all filing in. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. You know, what's up? it's going to be great. And, and I thought, I hope ESPN's got that camera rolling because I'm about to put on a show. This is going to be good. Opening kickoff. I'm on the kickoff team, so I'm there. I'm watching down the line. I'm looking down there, and I'm like, as soon as they kick it, I'm going to probably get there before the ball does. As soon as they, they catch that ball, I'm just going to like, oh, lights out, ESPN, here we come. They blow the whistle. They kick the ball. I take off running. As soon as I do, a guy on the other team, he comes up, and he hits me. I hit him back. He hit me. I hit him back. He hit me, I hit him. He hit me, I hit him. He hit me, I hit him. Over and over, about three minutes after the entire play was over, we're sitting there and we're hitting each other going back and forth. Oblivious to the fact that the rest of the world had moved on, I was caught up in this little scuffle with this other little junior high, whoever he thought he was. And so now here we are, and we're going back and forth. The ref throws a flag, blows the whistle, and he has the audacity to say, you're out of the game. Kick me out of the junior high football game in front of my whole family. Are you feeling my pain right now as I'm telling the story? You want to talk about the walk of shame. Do you know what I felt like? Knowing that they had all just gotten to their seats, they hadn't even taken a bite out of the hot dog yet, and I'm done, my game's over, and I'm walking back, and I'm like, you know, and I have to sit down on the bench, and it's over for me. You know what's silly about that? Is it had nothing to do with why they came or why I was there, but somebody did something, and I was like, oh, oh, you're going to do that? Like, what's your instinct when somebody throws a spear at you? I don't know about you, but if I don't check myself, if I don't take myself and, and really control myself, when somebody throws, what, let me tell you something, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> you know what, appreciate this, because guess where it's going now? I mean, I'm ready to come back with it, right? And what's so foolish is we can get caught up fighting enemies and 
David's like, you know what? When, when, you, when you try and take revenge, it hurts you more than it helps you. There are some of you that you're allowing the enemy to counsel you on how to handle your enemies, which is one thing to have enemies. It's another thing to have the devil counseling you on how to handle your enemies. Oh, they said that about you? You ought to say this about them. You're like, thank you, devil. Anytime you're thanking the devil, you know something's wrong. <laughs> right? They said, what? You're in? Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you something right now. Mm. <laughs> then it comes back. Oh. That, thank you, devil. I didn't even think of that one right there. That's a good one. David's like, Abishai, I know what we can get by your hand, but I know what I can get if we wait on the hand of the Lord. Because I got this little song in my heart, Abishai. Haven't totally written it yet. I was going to write one called Another One Bites the Dust, but I just felt a check in my spirit. It's not time for that one yet. But I got one on how God can prepare a table. That even in the midst of my enemies and my difficulty, my God can show up and he can provide. He can set a table. I know what we could get with your hand. I know what we could get with his hand. Don't listen to the enemy's counsel. Listen to the word of God. Here it is, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. For evil. Do not repay, say this with me, anyone evil for evil. Because sometimes, you know what we do? We like to look for the exception. That's a good verse. Now, that doesn't apply to my situation because this anyone in my life, he says, do not repay, say it with me, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in, in the eyes of everyone. Listen to verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some of you are like, hey, I, that's what I'm trying to do. As far as it's possible. In this case, it's not even possible. That's okay. He's got a verse for you. Verse 19. Still, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. When you take revenge, you are getting up from the table that God has prepared for you. You are walking away from the feast of a blessing that he wants you to enjoy. Stay at the table. David recognized that when you take revenge, it hurts you more than it helps you. And secondly, he understood this. When it comes to facing your enemies, face your enemies. Number two, face your enemies with your friends. Face your enemies with your friends. In other words, you've got to move away from this, this, this temptation of isolation. Like go, go back throughout, all back when you were a kid. You know how you'd walk a little taller and, and, and you'd stand a little more confident if the fellows were with you. You know, you had your big brother with you. You know, you, had your, you just you felt a little more confidence. But whenever we're alone and we're facing something, there's this intimidation. There's this, there's this fear. There, there, there's this, you're like, man, I don't even know. And so God says, listen, here's one of the ways that I provide for you. God sets a table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. He sets a table, and part of this provision 
that he's giving us, this setting that he's providing, is that he is giving us godly relationships, healthy friendships, spiritual counsel. He's given us people who will push us closer to him and away from the lies of the enemy. Listen, oftentimes what God wants to do in your moment is to give you wise voices, healthy voices, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who will walk with you through adversity. David had that in his friend Jonathan, and Jonathan proved to be a lifesaver. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan. So bad king tells his son Jonathan, who happened to be friends with David. Saul, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David, and so he warned him. He said, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. He said, I'll go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. God had blessed David with a great friendship with Jonathan. David was close to Jonathan. Jonathan and David shared dreams. Jonathan and David shared fears. Jonathan and David shared life together. And as a result of that, God used this friendship to warn David of Saul's plans, and ultimately it saved his life. Don't isolate yourself when going through the battle. It's the picture of the hot coals. You want a hot coal to go out, pull it away from the rest of the coals. Isolate it, and it stops glowing. It loses its heat. Part of God's provision for all of us is that today we're cultivating friendships that when enemies come, when there's attack on our sons or our daughters, maybe you have a son or daughter away from God, but because you have friends who love you, who are standing with you, who believe in you, you're able to say, here's what's going on. I'm asking you to pray with me for my son. I want him to quit rebelling against God. I want my daughter to quit running from Jesus. I want him to be filled with God's love. I want her to be filled with God's presence. I want them to be committed to God's word. Would you pray with me? Here's why we have like group life at People's Church. It's because we want to be there for one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to invest in one another. We want healthy, wise, godly voices to overwhelm us instead of the, the voices. Silence the voices of the enemy saying, you're going down. There's no chance. It will never work. We want people who are speaking life. We want people who say, this is what the Word of God says. I know what your enemy says, but this is what the Word of God God says, I know what the enemy says, but this is what God's promise says. We want people that can stand with us, who can encourage us, who can help us, but you don't have that if you go through life alone. God give us friends to make us stronger. And then there's this third and this final piece on how to respond appropriately in order to receive our reward. David did it. We must do it. Number three, it's this. Allow God to use your enemies to build you up rather than tear you down. Allow God to use your enemies to build you up rather than to tear you down. Here's what I mean by that. You have a choice on how you respond. You have a choice as to where you will run. Some of you need to make good your escape. Some of you need to get out of situations. Some of you are in situations as a coworker, whatever. You're like, hey, I got to show up and go back to work tomorrow regardless. I've just, I've just got to be there. 
But did you know that in your moments of difficulty, that it's in those seasons when you're under attack that some of God's greatest stories or provision will manifest in your life? It will be the stuff that you could write songs about in the future. David on the run from Saul, he flees and he gets into this cave. He is running from Saul, but he is running to God, even in the midst of the cave. Listen what he had to say. This is a song that he wrote while in the cave, while running from Saul. This gives us a glimpse into David's life, what he was feeling, what he was thinking. When he was in the cave, fearing for his life, he says this, verse 1, Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. God, I'm not going to take revenge, but I am running to you. I am looking to you. I am looking for your help. I'm looking for your protection. I'm hiding in you. What do you get this, this picture? Remember, this is a song. He's taking his feelings. He's putting it to melody. He's putting it to rhythm. He's communicating his heart. What is he saying? He's saying, when I was facing my greatest enemies, when I'm in a cave, fearing for my life, what I understood was this. I could press into the presence of the omnipotent one and he could shower me with his protection. He could surround me with his protection. He would cover me with his hand and God will take care of me. Listen to verse 3. He says, God, you send from heaven and you save me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God, you send forth your love and your faithfulness. He's saying, I know that you're here. I know that you answer. Even though I'm on the run right now, I know that you're here with me. You're taking care of me. Verse 4, he calls it like it is. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't deny reality. There are enemies after him. So he says in verse 4, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And so he's saying, that's what's surrounding me. What is his response to the reality of the presence of his enemies? His response is, verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Picture him. He's in a cave. He's hiding. He's running for his life, but he's leaning into God. And he's saying, God, I just want to take some time to praise you right now. They spread a net for my feet. I was bound down in distress. They dug a uh, pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Verse 7, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be be over all of theirs. What is he saying? He's saying, I know that there are enemies there, but I know that you are at work. You're in ways that I cannot even see. You're in, at work right now in ways I don't even know. I know that you're at work on my life, in my life. I know that you're drawing me closer to you. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. Even in this situation, let your name be exalted. Let your glory be known all over there. Why would David... In the midst of the severest of trials, thinking any minute he can die. Do the math. The numbers don't look good. Look at Saul's jealousy. He is unstoppable. He is determined to destroy David. Why would David start singing? Why? And if he's going to sing, I can think of some other words that I might be singing. 
pretty much dominated by just one word. Help! Verse 2, help! Chorus, help! It's because David understood that God said, I'm preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Oh, I'm not denying that it's hard, David. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that they are there. I'm just saying that I'm with you. And I'm saying that as I'm with you there in the presence of your enemies, I want you to check out what I'm doing for you right now. I'm preparing a table for you. What's God serving? The way you can answer that is to answer this question. What is it you're needing? What is it that's lacking in your life? Whatever problem you're facing, there's a solution that God has for it. And if you try and take and do it in your own hand and you fight back, you'll get what you can do. You say, well, I wish I could sing in the midst of mine. That you know what you need to do? Come have a seat at his table. And when you start seeing God's sovereign hand at work providing, you will see that he is giving you a supernatural peace as he provides a supernatural feast. As you are partaking of the goodness of God, you don't even know that there are swords that are flying. There are rocks that are flying. And you're thinking, that's meant to kill me. And God's saying, hey, watch this. I'm going to take that spear that was meant to kill you. Catch a couple of those. I'm going to give you the coolest chopsticks you've ever seen in your life to eat that feast right there. They're throwing spears, but those are going to become chopsticks. Okay, they're throwing rocks. Can I just tell you, your enemy cannot keep you from your destiny. Can I just tell you right now, those rocks that are being hurled at your head become stepping stones that you will step on to get to the destiny that God has for you. You just got to stay at the table. Stay at his table. Staying at his table means I don't take revenge on my own. Staying at his table means I don't try and face this on my own. He provides brothers and sisters in the Lord. Stay connected. Get involved in small groups. Build godly relationships. Staying at the table means that I lean into his presence. I don't run from his presence. I don't question, God, why are you doing this? How could you do this? I say, God, let your name be exalted. God, let your glory be over all the earth. God, I thank you for this provision. And when you're doing that, can I tell you in that sense, in that sense, I know the sermon, this series is on enemies, but in that sense, can I just tell you, when you're at the table, you don't even have any enemies? And here's what I mean by that. What the devil meant for harm, God will use for good. What the devil intends to hurt you, I'm telling you, God has a way of using it to help you. You don't know why he brought you here. You don't know why you took the job that you took. You don't know why you got involved in this relationship. You, you don't know why you did this. You don't know why you did that. You don't sit down at the table. Lean into him. And as it comes to enemies, instead of battling bitterness, I don't mean literally do this, but figuratively speaking, it would be better for you to take out a pen and paper and write a thank you note to the enemy. Because <laughs> what the devil meant for harm, God's actually going, those become chopsticks. You don't know, but those things become stepping stones. You don't know, but I'm at work in ways that one day you look back and you'll be like, I'm going to write a song about that. 